Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, get this. We have a mind-bending announcement to make. The Stuff You Should Know episode on vinyl is now on vinyl. You can learn about records by listening to a record. It's possibly the first time a podcast episode has ever been put to wax, and we did it, along with our friends at Born Losers Records. It comes in three awesome colors, black, white, and a super cool splatter core, and you can order it for pre-sale now at syskvinyl.com. Records will ship on October 20th, just in time for Halloween, whatever that means. So go to syskvinyl.com right now to get this super duper limited edition, super cool stuff you should know thing. A record on records. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck and Jerry's here, too, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast about revenge. Revenge? We've done um, an episode on, it was like a top 10 on cases, legendary cases of revenge. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But we didn't talk much about revenge itself, and I felt it was high time. We've been dancing around it for decades now, (laughs) and here we are. I thought this is a great idea, so kudos to you because it. Uh, Dave helped us out with this one, and it's um, a lot of like science and studies have sort of, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but have sort of um, produced results that fly in the face of what one might typically think about revenge and what it means for the person getting the revenge. Yeah, I think most people, um, ha- how we feel about revenge, it, it's from watching movies and it's like deeply satisfying to watch the the bad guy who deserves revenge yeah. get get their comeuppance right sure is or even be killed just like yes that guy deserved that kind of thing but in reality carrying out acts of revenge or they just it's not like the movies i guess is what i'm trying to say and yet there's a lot of evidence of revenge in real life so much so that the um, New York Police Department came out with a study in 2012 and found out that 42% of the homicides in New York were motivated by revenge. Man. So, and that actually kind of um, underscores like a problem with revenge is that when you enact vengeance on somebody and you leave them alive, almost invariably that person feels like you overdid what in re, in response to what they they did it was disproportionate so now they have to strike back again 
Mm-hmm. And it can go back and forth until somebody dies or else somebody can die right away as the first act of revenge. But the the point of the whole thing is, is that once you do carry out revenge, no matter if it's petty, like signing somebody up for spam or killing somebody <laughs> in response to whatever slight, like road rage, they cut you off in, in traffic, you don't right. feel good afterward. You actually feel worse. And that's the underlying point of this entire episode yeah you know my my favorite petty i don't do it but my favorite petty revenge to witnesses is when and it's so dumb everyone just settle down is on a highway when someone uh is on an expressway and they clean their windows and it gets all over the car behind them <laughs> i see people all the time race in front of that person and do the same thing back oh to them. oh my god really yeah that is petty that is Tom Petty. Uh, that's not Tom Petty because Tom Petty was great. Uh, that's just Petty. Um, and I also wanted to say too, you talked about revenge coming back harder or whatever. Uh, Emily has her own personal saying, like when we're messing around and I like, I will do something to her or I'll say something kind of mean as a joke. She'll, she'll eviscerate me <laughs> and she calls it coming back double. She goes, I come back double. Oh boy. I'm- She's one of those people that, uh, Think she gets pushed in a corner and is and man she comes out hard so it's uh, it's a good trait I think and and one to be wary of at the same time. Yes, I'm suddenly <laughs> way more wary of Emily than I was before. Luckily, I've oh, always stayed on her good side. Yeah, you wouldn't come at it, Emily anyway. You're smart. No, so um, there's a lot of questions revolving around revenge. Um, if if the if we know for a fact it feels good to think about, but then feels bad to do. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that when we're thinking about it, we're like, this is going to feel good. It's not the act of thinking about it that feels good. It's fantasizing about how good it's going to feel to get that person back, to Mm -hmm. set the universe right again, to do all sorts of things that revenge allegedly does. And it turns out when you carry out an act of revenge, you are playing the chump to evolution Mm -hmm. on behalf of society as a whole. And that's kind of like the whole basis of of revenge. There's a, a evolutionary instinct that's very, very old. It's found extensively in the animal kingdom. And it really collides with the the modern evolved humans that live in these complex societies we've formed today. When you yeah. put those two things together, an interesting podcast comes out. That's right. Uh, what you're talking about, the animal kingdom is also called retaliatory aggression. And that is the idea that, uh, uh, so let's say um, a lion uh, mama goes out and kills an animal um, to leave for her little cubs to eat. Uh, Another animal is like, ooh, you know, let me see if I can sneak in there and eat some of that too. The mama lion doesn't just scare this thing off to preserve that meat for the kids. The mama lion goes and hunts down and kills that animal. Yes. They they come back double, Emily style. Right. I mean, like the the problem solved, the hyena has been chased away, but to leave your kids and go find it and kill it, that's that is seems retaliatorily aggressive. Yeah, and uh, this next one too, I'm going to mention. Um, uh, these are interesting because it made me sort of question the idea of revenge versus punishment, right? Because I think those are different things. But yes. the rhesus monkey, we've talked a lot about their vocalizations, like uh, they're all about the group, or they should be at least. And like when they find food, let's say. They will tell everyone, hey, I found food, but if a rhesus monkey is ever like, you know, I'm going to have a little bit of this first (laughs) before I call out. And if they find that out, 
there's a punishment for that rhesus monkey. I don't think they kill it, uh, but there is a punishment. Uh, and this is the idea that these retaliatory aggressions are deterrence. It's like a punishment uh, for everyone to see to prevent future transgressions. Like, hey, did you hyena see that? Did you other rhesus monkeys see that? Uh, so that you know would be an advantageous thing, uh, evolutionarily speaking, so that gene gets passed on. Yeah, because the more the more you're prone to do that, the the likelier you are to not have food stolen from you for your kids. The likelier it is for your kids to survive and and your lineage to survive. So it makes sense, evolutionarily speaking. This retaliatory aggression does at least, right? Yeah, which I would still argue is punishment more than revenge. I think there's an right. emotional component that's missing, but we're we're getting to that. A- absolutely, I think you're absolutely right. And there's a there's a story, a couple of stories of tigers actually engaging in what can only be described as revenge, um, and it's very much up in the air whether what we're witnessing is actual revenge. But like mm-hmm. like there was a, um, a a very famous story out of Russia where like a, a poacher not only shot um, a tiger but also took some of their kill. And that the tiger tracked the guy down, found his his little lodging, destroyed mm-hmm. everything he could find in the lodging, and then waited yeah. outside for the hunter to come back and then kill them. And that the tiger managed to hold this idea in his head, or I think it was a her her head, for up to maybe twenty four hours after the 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 hunter shot her. Uh-huh. Um, there's a, there's a couple of stories out there that seem to pertain to tigers specifically. That it's almost like it does contain an emotional component to it. But for the most part, yes, it's it's solving an, a problem and then maybe preventing future problems among the animals. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite sayings is uh, revenge is a meal best served cold. <laughs> I don't know why because I'm not a revenge guy really, but I just I think that it's just such a great saying. I just like it. I, you know, there's something about like, oh, no, no, no. The real revenge is like when you wait around for a while. Oh, yeah. And then when you would might not be suspected, you come back and take that revenge. Yeah, because if you just immediately do it in response, you're a hothead and a dummy. Yeah. Anybody can uh-huh. do that. But to sit there and really stew on it and figure out the best way to really get back at the person, that yeah. takes intellect. Yeah, I agree. And a little bit of craziness, I, I just have to say. All right. So now we can get to the humans as far as evolution is concerned. Uh, we have that same sort of... Uh, instinct uh, ingrained in our DNA for that retaliatory aggression. <laughs> um, our ancestors, when they were living in hunter-gatherer groups, was a lot of relying on one another, obviously, a lot of communication and cooperation, and thus a lot of uh, punishing to be done if people either were outsiders or people inside the group didn't cooperate and do the right thing. Yes. Um, and so this is, again, the same thing what you're talking about. You're um, punishing the person who transgressed, you're also deterring future behavior. And the more we um, became social, the more important this kind of stuff became because we be, we started depending on other people. And so as a result, we started monitoring one another. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself um, can, can act as a deterrent in the future because you know that there's a, a vengeance instinct Mm-hmm. And there's a set amount or set um, structure of like norms and rules. And then other people are watching you to see what you're doing and you're watching them. And that kind of creates a um, an atmosphere of conformity. And you can say what you want about conformity, but if you have a, a large group of people following the same rules, 
you're you're taking care of a really basic problem and issue and you can then kind of evolve more into more and more complex societies. Yeah. And that's I saw one person say that revenge is ultimately what provided the basis for human civilization and allowed it to grow knowing that there was such a thing as revenge and that humans yeah. were capable of it. Totally. Uh so kind of put a pin in that for a second uh cuz we should talk about this idea of like sweet revenge. Um that's an it's a word that's often associated with revenge and you talked about the fantasy of revenge and it's it's you know, it's a fantasy because uh, for very good reasons. Uh, if you are physically hurt, obviously, or emotionally or psychologically wounded by somebody, uh, you it, it's a natural instinct to think about getting back at that person. Right. And the feelings that come with that uh, take place in a part of the brain called the dorsal striatum. And it's the same uh, part of the brain that controls the reward system of like, hey, that pecan pie tastes great. Uh-huh. Um, that sexual orgasm feels amazing. Or the the drug that uh, I really want to take feels good. It's that same lizard brain pathway uh, that revenge lights up, that lights up whenever you do anything that, that feels rewarding or satisfying for somebody. Yeah, it's extraordinarily powerful and hard to deny and overcome because it's just such an, a basic response, right? Totally. But again, the the problem, and this is where the tension arises, we have evolved to a way where um, we've created these societies with rules and expectations that in part say, like, you can't carry out revenge. It's not okay. Mm-hmm. And we, you know that that's not okay as a modern human living in modern human society. Uh, and yet we have that part of our brain, that really powerful basic part of our brain telling us to do it and but we know we're not supposed to. And that's kind of like the point in human evolution that we live in right now. That's right. Um, should we take a break? Sure. All right. That sounds like a good stopping point. So we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll hit on the thing that you brought up earlier about the fact that actually getting that revenge may not be so sweet. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you. That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. So, um... Chuck, one of the things about revenge that makes it different from the drug that you were talking about or the orgasm or whatever is that when you think of it, it's more fulfilling than when you actually do it. So, like, if you think about a drug, you might mm-hmm. it might be pleasurable, but it's probably nothing compared to what the drug's doing to your brain when you actually take it. Right. That's not true with revenge. Not only is um, the thought of fantasy of revenge more fulfilling and in, in that will um, hit that limbic system harder. When you actually do carry out an act of revenge, it actually creates negative feelings in you as well. Yeah, which is interesting because, like, how can an idea of something, how can a fantasy of something trigger the same cascades of the other pleasurable things in your life that you're actually doing? And when you think about it, it, it actually does make sense because revenge, actually taking revenge is risky. Uh, thinking about revenge, fantasizing about revenge is not risky per se. I mean, it could be dangerous for, you know, negative for a person, perhaps eventually, uh, if you like, you become obsessed with it. But initially it, it's a feel good feeling, but carrying through on it can be risky. If, if you go to, if you're the hunter gatherer group and someone invades your group and steals your meat, you could go, you could just sit there and think about how great it would be to get them back. And that's probably the safest move. Or you could actually go to that other camp and try and kill that person, but you're taking a big risk at that point. You individually are. That's right. But you're doing it on behalf of the group or the group benefits, whether you're doing it on their behalf or not. That's right. If you didn't do anything, though, that group, not just you, but the group you're a member of, would seem weak to other groups. Yeah. And it's it sounds really like um, kind of, Cro-Magnon or something like that, but that's, it's important. You, you can't have, like I was saying before, you can't have society without the, the knowledge that if you transgress, there will be consequences for it. I saw, um, I saw it put, there's a neurologist and psychologist named Jeff Victoroff. He said that, uh, reciprocal altruism, which is how people cooperate between groups and within groups 
um, that it, uh, it rewards and requires a costly signal demonstrating uh-huh. risk-taking on behalf of the in-group. So for people to be able to trade with one another, for people to be able to get along in a society and not kill each other or whatever, you have to know that there's a threat to you if you transgress. It has to be there or else people will inevitably, invariably cheat or kill you or do whatever. And it's a really basic paranoid way of looking at the world. But if you start to study revenge, it, it seems like it's, it's, it's a linchpin of society as it, as it stands. That there's, there's just, you can't have a society, animal or human, without that, that threat hanging over you of revenge. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I got another quote, and this is the idea, um, kind of supports the idea that uh, the revenge itself isn't, you know, it's risky and it could be bad for you. It's really the idea of it that's, uh, that's better, or at least better for the individual. Uh, this is from Francis Bacon. Uh, a man that studieth revenge keeps his own wounds green, <laughs> which otherwise would heal and do well. And that's sort of the the thing that, you know, has come up over and over again in studies that we're going to be talking about is that the, you know, the path of the Buddha, the getting over things and not seeking revenge is really the, the, the path that ultimately will bring someone, um, what, satisfaction? Um, tranquility? Ha- yeah, tranquility. Maybe not satisfaction, actually. Yeah, I think it's getting past the need for satisfaction that yeah. will lead you to the point that you really want to get to, which is feeling good again, but like you felt before you were wronged. The, right. The thing is, is with, no, wronged. The thing is, is with <laughs> um, with revenge, What what again, what you have is an innate automatic impulse to smash the other person in the face to get back at them for them insulting you or your family or your favorite football team or whatever. It's a, it's a really basic instinct that if you can learn to overcome, not just you as an individual can evolve, we as a society can evolve. The thing is, is you still need that for um, just to keep society going and functioning. What we've figured out as further evolved humans that we can externalize that revenge instinct and imbue our institutions with that, where we've created court systems and justice systems. They're responsible for carrying out acts of vengeance or retribution or righting wrongs and in serving justice on behalf of the individuals of society and as society and for society as a whole, so that we don't have to carry out acts of revenge on one another. And in fact, we have rules now that if you do carry out an act of revenge, you mm-hmm. can be punished by those same institutions that are there to to enact vengeance on your behalf. Yeah, because what happened is, you know, we went from the hunter-gatherers where you literally had to do this for your group to survive to eventually settling down once we became um, farmers and settlers mm-hmm. and, and eventually urbanites. And those became, those same instincts were there, but they became moral codes. And all of a sudden you know, we had these moral codes, like you don't uh, cheat on your friend's wife and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, that's not punishable by death, but the that revenge instinct is still there to overcome these moral codes. Uh, there was a psychologist named Herbert, uh, Herbert Gintis uh, that uh, talked about revenge-seeking as moral behavior. Individuals seek revenge not when they've been hurt, but when they've been morally wronged. Um, I would also argue, you know, some people seek revenge when they literally have been physically hurt as well. Right. But but it's also a, a morally wronging that happens if someone, you know, 
jumps you and beats you up at a football game or something. And that's actually, um, that's a tension that philosophers have been trying to figure out for a while. Um, John Stuart Mill was a fan of the deterrent uh, explanation of revenge or punishment or whatever you want to call it. And he was saying like, like with the animal kingdom, when you you punish the transgressor, you're you're deterring future behavior by making an example of them. Immanuel Kant said, no, revenge exists because when somebody transgresses you against a person, you're being morally wronged. Mm-hmm. And just you remove everything else, morally speaking, that person deserves to be punished. And he put it in a really kind of alarming way. But philosophers always operate on the fringes anyway to make their points. Right. He was saying that a a genuinely, um, a, 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 I, I guess a legitimate society, even if it was disbanding, it was in the act of disbanding that they were, um, they 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 were required to go in and kill all of the remaining prisoners, um, all the all the murderers, like go execute the rest of the murderers. Just because mm-hmm. your society is disbanding makes no excuse whatsoever for the people that you've imprisoned that transgress against the society because they committed a moral wrong that is larger and more important than any any individual or even any society and that they deserve to be punished and that that's the function of revenge according to Kant. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's kind of uh, a kind of vengeance. Kant was he was serious, man. Yeah. <laughs> he came back double. Um <laughs> You mentioned earlier, you know, we have systems set up, you know, court systems, police forces, things like that uh, these days. But uh, it's interesting that Day found that um, historically these you know, places in the world where uh, the cultures were what you would call like a culture of honor mm-hmm. uh, were more prone to, you know, commit acts of violence as revenge. Like the American South was uh, historically known as a culture of honor where... You would go out and defend the honor or fight somebody or have a shootout with somebody. Um, I saw uh, specifically that's white Southern culture, that um, patterns yeah. of African-American retribution or crimes like that don't really vary geographically. That's the white American South is the one that does that. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, I think that's what they're talking about is sort of, you know, pre-antebellum and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Middle Eastern culture. <laughs> Uh, Middle Eastern cultures uh, historically can uh, kind of be the same way as far as revenge goes, restoring honor. Uh, And they found, and this is what gets really interesting, is that cultures and areas that have a history of weak law enforcement um, maybe engage in revenge more often. Uh, When you hear about like street justice, uh, you might think of um, a low income community that maybe mistrusts the system. They don't think the courts or the police are on their side to begin with. Or would take care of them. Mm-hmm. So that's where you're going to see more sort of street justice revenge carried out. Right. Um, and then same with um, workplace environments and schools. Apparently three in five school shootings from 1974 to 2020 were um, acts of vengeance or revenge. I'm surprised it was actually that low of a ratio. And then um, if you work in a place where your complaints to a management or whatever seem to be falling on deaf ears... That uh, can also lead to vengeance in the workplace, like workplace shootings. Like remember right. in our um, going postal episode, what like the common factor was that management was not only like dismissing complaints about bullying, they were often engaged in bullying themselves. Yeah. And um, it, it, like it doesn't justify or excuse it, but that is a, an example of somebody carrying out an act of revenge, at least in their mind. Yeah, for sure. 
you were talking about philosophers earlier. Uh, now we get to finally talk about our old friend Sigmund Freud uh, and Joseph Brewer, his mentor, because they had what was known as the catharsis theory of aggression or the hydro- hydraulic model. <laughs> uh, and this is the idea is that uh, a lot of psychosises, or most of them, were repression, and it was negative emotion that was building up. And if you repress these emotions, if you have these negative emotions, if you have anger toward someone or frustration, and it builds up like a hydraulic pump, eventually you're going to pop. You're going to have what's called a catharsis, or uh, Greek meaning cl- cleansing or purging, and you will release that in an unhealthy way, which is probably going to be revenge. Uh, Freud said it could manifest as hysteria. And here's the thing, though, is that stuff falls apart when you actually apply science to it. Uh, they have found that, you know, um, you know, punching a punching bag can maybe give you an immediate relief. But uh, a lot of times that stuff only serves to work you up more when you apply science to it. Yeah, because the basis of the catharsis theory was that rather than going and killing the person who wronged you, you could go hit that punching bag and pretend the punching bag was them and you would get out that repressed anger and feel better and could move on. But yes, um, starting in, I think, the 50s, they they were like, "This wait a minute, this is, this is not right at all. It turns out that when you do that, it, it just extends that um, the, the sour feelings that, that cause you to want revenge in the first place. And yeah. that, like we said, if you can find a way to forgive or forget or move on or whatever, you will ultimately be happier um, in the long run and even immediately compared to somebody who actually carries out an act of revenge or even goes and punches a punching bag pretending like it's the person they want to carry out an act of revenge against. Yeah, uh, there's a that psychologist you're talking about, R.H. Hornberger. Uh, one of the studies they did, he would have an actor come in and like insult someone in a study can you just see Ted dancing doing this early in his career? <laughs> yeah. You half-wit. <laughs> Look at that nose. Uh, so somebody would get really mad, uh, apparently, and be instructed to go uh, bang nails, uh, hit nails into a board for 10 minutes. Really? To, you know, apparently let out that frustration With and their aggression. their fists. That's right. The other half of the people uh, just had to sit there and think about it for 10 minutes. And then they were given a chance to criticize the person who insulted them and if you subscribe to Freud and the catharsis theory, then the, the nail pounders would have been, you know, relieved and their aggression would have been let out and they would have been less hostile. But the exact opposite happened. They were even more hostile after they pounded those nails toward the actor than the people who did nothing. Yeah, and that's, um, that was Hornberger in the 50s. It's still being proven today. There's a psychologist named Brad Bushman who um, made a, a slightly more... Um, robust study of the whole thing, but it followed essentially the same methodology where um, you were thinking about whoever you wanted to get revenge on while you're hitting a punching bag. Or another group was hitting a punching bag, but they were told to think about the health benefits of boxing. And then the other one didn't punch anything, the third group. And they found that um, that the rumination group was the one who displayed the most anger um, and then the distraction group who were also punching the bag, but thinking about how great boxing is, they right. were second. <laughs> and then the last group, the people who didn't punch anything, they were the happiest. They were the least hostile as a result afterward. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, we're, we're getting into social psychology territory here, but these people are working with the best they can while staying within ethical boundaries. Like you can't actually right. 
harm somebody, but they, they do have ways of, of making you um, feel insulted or cheated. That's another big one too. And when you're in one of these experiments, you don't know that they're researching revenge. You think they're researching how well you can play like a game with others or something. You have no idea that that's what they're researching. So there, there are some pretty good models for testing revenge without actually putting anyone in harm's way. Yeah, for sure. Um, should we take a break? Yeah, let's. All right, let's take a break and we'll talk a little bit about uh, sometimes revenge can feel good and explain those studies as well. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you. That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. All right. Uh, before we broke, we talked about the fact that uh, revenge, basically, actually undertaking the revenge or 
in these studies, at least it's not revenge, but, you know, letting out that aggression, thinking about the person who did you wrong when you punched that heavy bag really just makes you feel worse. Uh, revenge under the right circumstances can make you feel better, apparently, according to the studies of German psychologist uh, Mario, I'm sorry, he's a psychological scientist, uh, Mario uh, Golvitza. And this gets a little interesting, I think. Um, he talked about comparative suffering and the notion that when you see the person who wronged you suffer might restore a balance, an emotional balance to yourself and to the universe at large even. Uh, that and his other theory of the what's called the understanding hypothesis, which is that if the, under, the, the person who did you wrong, uh, if they suffer, that's fine, but that's really not enough. They have to know that they're suffering because of what they did to you yeah. and that that can actually bring some, uh, I don't know about positive emotions, but make someone feel good as opposed to feeling worse. Yeah, and he came up with a pretty clever um, experiment to test which one was correct, comparative suffering or understanding hypothesis. And uh, essentially what happened was the research participants thought that they were trying to compete for raffle tickets with another person who was in another room. They were paired up with a a team member. Yeah, a partner. And um, after they won all the raffle tickets, they were told that they and the partner could um, divvy them up between them. And basically all of the participants you know, cut them in half, distribute them evenly. But they found that the other people had really shorted them on their tickets. Their partner had really kept a bunch of tickets rather than distributing them evenly. So they had been wronged in some way. They were given a chance to right that wrong by carrying out revenge. Um, they were they were allowed to redistribute the tickets uh, like a second chance. And in that case, they almost invariably screwed the other person over who would, who would, you know, so they enacted revenge. And then this is where Galwitzer um, really kind of shone for me. Um, he figured out a way to test how satisfied those people were with that act of revenge. Yeah, there were, uh, I think 60% of the people um, ended up shorting them in return, uh, sometimes even more than they were shorted to begin with. Yeah. Like they came back double, Emily style. Right. Uh, so he went that one extra step, like you were saying, and he said, all right, here's what you do now. Uh, you can write a note <laughs> to the person mm-hmm. uh, and say whatever you want. You can reference the, you know, the injustice. So one person wrote, sorry for taking the tickets away. And, and remember now, it gets a little convoluted, but this is someone who initially was shorted and then they took revenge by shorting the other person, maybe even more. Right. And so they sent them a note that said, sorry for taking tickets away. But unfortunately, you only cared about yourself. <laughs> That's so childish. So they would write a note. Uh, many, many of them would write notes like saying, I really want you to understand this is why you're getting shorted. Right. So then uh, what Galwitzer figured out was that um, he could test understanding uh, hypothesis and comparative suffering by getting two different kinds of notes to the people, that group of participants that had carried out revenge, and then sent a note saying, I wronged you because you wronged me. And the first note was kind of, it was like contrition. They were saying, yeah, I understand. You really gave it to me because I had wronged you initially. And then the other note was like, hey, you way overdid it. I didn't do it that bad to you. I'm a little indignant. And so if the comparative suffering was um, correct, just knowing that those people had been put out by the revenge, the retaliation, 
should have been satisfying enough. But what mm-hmm. Gallwitzer found was that that's not the case at all. That um, the group that got the note back that said, man, you really stuck it to me and I'm, I feel like a schmo because of what I did to you, um, they, they were far more satisfied and, uh, than the people who had just gotten the note back saying like, I'm a little indignant you overdid it. So yeah. just knowing that they suffered was not enough. They had to know why they were suffering. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. It, like, uh, it, it, I, I guess it's the idea of like if somebody, um, and if you're, trust me, no one should ever do anything like this. It means you're a truly bad person if you do. <laughs> but if you engage in road rage and someone cuts you off and you follow them to the gas station and like cut their tire when they're in the store uh, and leave, that wouldn't be as satisfying scientifically as if you do that and leave a note that says like, you know, this is what you get for cutting me off. Right. Exactly. So, so you said something in there uh, that I think is really important too, that that group who retaliated the participants, when they retaliated, they often distributed things even more unfairly than their partner had initially. Right. 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 And that's something that's a big problem with the cycle of revenge that a researcher named Arlene Stilwell from state university of New York at Potsdam pointed out. The problem is, is that, when you are on the side of avenging yourself for a wrong, you think that after you've done that, things are right again. You've, you've created equilibrium in, in the moral universe again. But when you're the recipient of vengeance, you feel like that person was disproportionate to the wrong that you inflicted. And so, like I was saying earlier, now you feel like you might need to get them back again. And it just goes tit for tat and tit for tat. And that's why the 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 safest, smartest, most highly evolved, most Buddhist thing you can do is to just sort, short circuit the whole thing and let it mm-hmm. go and just move on and and know, yes, you've been morally wronged and you have the power within you to not do a thing about it and and like live a happier life than you would if you did something about it. Yeah, and I think that kind of holds with um, they found some pretty good research on what's called impact bias. And that's the idea that uh, people tend to overestimate um, how much like one kind of even sometimes small single thing will affect their future. They overestimate it. And the example he used is like a kid, a high school kid saying, well, if I don't get an A in this class, it'll ruin my chances to get into a good college. And that's probably overestimating things because getting into a college is more about this one class, maybe, uh, or this one test. Uh, But people underestimate, apparently, uh, like anger goes the opposite. They will underestimate how hard it is to shake angry thoughts. Mm-hmm. So you might think uh, that you can get over something by committing the act of re- revenge, but it's, you're really uh, underestimating it. And those those feelings are going to stick with you even past that revenge act. Yeah, with anger in, in particular, it's its own thing. It doesn't follow the rules of other emotions, right? Yeah. And that is, of course, part and parcel with, with revenge. You are angry, maybe even hateful, and you have to carry out some sort of act of vengeance, right? Yeah, and I think there's also something to the idea that um, even though you think committing that act of re- revenge will f- fulfill you, um, what it does in the end is it, you've heard about, like, you know, you brought me down to your level. Uh-huh. Like, if, if you go and slash that guy's tire for cutting you off, you know, I got you. But those negative thoughts about yourself are going to creep in because you have now stooped and done something even worse than cutting someone off. You have, you know, cost someone money and ruined their property and potentially created a, 
a danger for them. You know? Well, even if you were cut off by the person, I've seen people do this too, and you rev your engine and catch up to them and cut them off. Right. So it's literally tit for tat, right? Uh -huh. There's no, nothing was, was done beyond, it's completely even. You're still going to feel bad about having done that. Yeah. And it's insane how it happens. Uh, like you, you are just driven by this rage, this, this feeling like this is what you're yeah. supposed to be doing. This is what the universe is demanding you do mm -hmm. to set things right again. And then the moment you do it, you feel terrible about yourself in one way yeah. or another. And it is just such a, just such a BS evolutionary relic that like you're being manipulated by genetics at that point. Yeah. At mm -hmm. that moment, you're being manipulated. You are a puppet. And so the best mm -hmm. thing you can do to control your own destiny, again, is to say, man, that guy cut me off. He's a putz. Or even better, that guy cut me off. Maybe he's a, uh, his leg is bleeding and he's he's got to right. get to the hospital. <laughs> you know? There are a lot of things you can do, but when you do that, you're overcoming your genetic destiny and taking it in an even better direction. Yeah. I mean, it's tough stuff, man, to, to follow that path. Uh for me, for a lot of people, I have tried and tried the more I've, the older I've gotten but, to try, try, <laughs> right? It's hard, yeah. but try to think like, what happened to that person? Why are they like that? Like when you see someone who's, you can tell is a bad person, not someone who cut you off in traffic, but right, like if you someone, see Hitler in traffic. <laughs> no, but when you, when you know someone is doing the wrong thing and someone is just a bad human doing bad things. Mm -hmm. I try to find some empathy of like, what happened to them that made them that way? Man. Or what happened to them today to make them that angry? Yeah. And, and I, I try to seek those moments out. It's, it's tough though. I'm trying to, but to be real, there's a crew of appliance delivery dudes <laughs> who scratched my wood floor two years ago and their company oh, no. is refusing, has refused to pay. Refused to yeah. pay over a year ago. Yeah, and I still <laughs> am like, should I get those guys back? And if so, how? Like, I, I. Well, you break into their house and scratch their floor, man. Yeah, tit for tat, right? <laughs> yeah, but that also dovetails with that, um, that idea that uh, tit for tat, or even better, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Yeah, it's part of that escalation and uh, sure cycle does. of retaliation, um, yeah. which is such a great quote, and everybody attributes it to Gandhi, but apparently it was not word for word, but the sentiment was by a Canadian named George Perry Graham. He was a journalist oh. and, and uh, politician. Of course, and it was a huge, Canadian. huge fan of... Um, the Raptors? No, Gordon Lightfoot. Oh, of course. Even It all comes back to, to GL. I think he was probably dead long before Gordon Lightfoot was alive. I just wanted to give a little <laughs> shout out for Canada's sake. Uh, well, why don't we wrap it all up with this idea of mutually assured destruction? Because it dovetails nicely, right? It does, Chuck. And here's why. Take it away. <laughs> so the the just as a refresher, we've talked about it before, the doctrine of mutually assured destruction was that if you uh, are a nuclear superpower, say the Soviet Union during the Cold War, or the United States during the Cold War, if you launched a, an initial first strike, the other side, even though they were doomed because your nuclear warheads were in the air and going mm -hmm. to come and kill everybody there, in the meantime, they were going to launch a retaliatory strike. It would do nothing to save anybody's life on their side. It wouldn't do anything to stop those yeah. missiles from coming. 
It was strictly revenge. And the human awareness of the um, the concept of revenge and that that was a very real thing, that the other side really would do that, is what kept people from carrying out an initial strike during the Cold War, according yeah. to Mutually Assured Destruction Doctrine. That's right. Oh, did I take up the whole thing? I'm sorry. You shouldn't be. <laughs> I mean, I think it's I think it's a great way to end it. It's uh, For all this talk of revenge, it's like, is that the thing that has kept humanity like on the earth? Yeah, I mean that's that's what some people say, and I mean the, yeah. the the doctrine of mutually assured destruction keeps getting questioned. Like, was that really what what was keeping things in check, or was there really like behind the scenes stuff we didn't know about? And it seems like more and more, it really was keeping things in check, and it seems to be because there was a a total awareness that the other side would kill you just because you killed them first. Yeah. So that's revenge, everybody. I think if there was one point to this episode, it's get past it as best you can. And if you can't, don't be too hard on yourself. Just try again next time. Yeah, try that. That narrow path is narrow, and uh, do your best. It's hard. We all struggle with it. Uh, but but see if, if the next time you want to get revenge on somebody in traffic or wherever, uh, see if you can take that narrow path and. Calm yourself down and, uh, you know, there's a really good chance you're going to feel better about yourself and the world's going to be a better place right. because of it. Just squeeze your steering wheel until you bleed from your palms. And your butt cheeks. Uh, since Chuck said butt cheeks, everybody knows it's time for listener mail. Uh, this is a great follow-up. Uh, quite a while ago, not that long ago, but like last year sometime we, or maybe have been this year, I don't know. We read an email about a guy who's uh, had the cussing dentist. Oh, that was just a few months ago, yeah. Okay. I have, I have no concept of time anymore. Understood. <laughs> uh, the guy who's dentist cussed, and we liked it because my doctor cusses, and I just think it's funny. And it was a funny story about the dentist dropping an F-bomb. we got to pull these F-ing teeth or whatever. <laughs> uh, and then we get this email. Hey, guys. My name is Ginger, and I'm a dental assistant in Blueville, Maine. A patient came into our office this week and said, my boss is famous. She then proceeded to tell us that she listened to your show and at the end you read letters from viewers and went on to say that the patient wrote in about the dentist that swears. I went back, found the episode, August... Oh, yeah, here it is right here. August 23, August 3rd? Really? Wow. Oh, boy. That was this month. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we read it, to be fair, uh, five weeks before that. Okay. Uh, The episode was the last meal ritual and it has to be my boss. Dr. Travis Castleberry, who, by the way, <laughs> said it was okay to read this. Great. Uh, by any chance, did the patient say who the dentist was? Because my boss thinks it could totally be another dentist, but I don't believe it. Uh, if you could, could you send me an email back so I could know if I was right? Hee <laughs> hee. Uh, so I did look this up. Uh, the original gentleman did not give the name of the dentist, but he was a dentist in Maine. Wow. And what are the chances that there are two cursing dentists in Maine? There are essentially zero. Probably zero. So Ginger goes on to say uh, he does like to cuss. Obviously not in front of kids. but he's And he's not everyone's cup of tea, but he surely is a lot of fun to work with. He's a genuine dentist. Uh, I don't even know what that means. Uh, but takes no BS from rude patients. I've worked with him for two years, and I still love to come to work every day. Uh, thank you for taking the time to read my email. Thanks to our patients. Uh, you have a new listener. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you. That is from Ginger, the dental assistant of Dr. Castleberry. So... I almost want to save up a, a cleaning and go see Ginger and Dr. Castleberry sometime. Why not? Just book a plane ride up to Maine and get your teeth yeah. cleaned and then come home. Have a swim in their cold, cold ocean. 
That email, by the way, was Ginger V. Itis. Yeah. That's who. <laughs> sorry, Ginger. Oh, that's sorry to one. everybody who hates puns, I including love it. me. Uh, well, if you want to get in touch with us like Ginger did, you can send us an email. Send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Childproofing people's homes is hard, but Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child-secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.